When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Explore a wide selection of luxury spirits, wine, and champagne at Reserve Bar. Dot com. Elevate your gifting this year with rare and exceptional bourbons, tequilas, scotch, wine, champagne, with personalized engraving, exceptional glassware, and more. From wines to whiskeys, there's a bottle for everyone. For a limited time, save $20 on your order of $150 plus with the code IHEART at ReserveBar.com. All right, welcome back, SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, we have an interesting event on Saturday. Mike Tyson is going to face Roy Jones in an exhibition match in California. I'm going to get into that. We've got Daniel Jacobs, Gabriel Rosado. That fight is happening on Friday on DAZN. Jacobs trying to take the next step towards a 168-pound title fight. And Terrence Crawford versus Bob Arum. Some more friction developing there. We'll get into that as well with Dan Rayfield, the great boxing writer formerly of ESPN, now with Boxing Scene and RingTV.com. Stick around for that. Good conversation with Dan. A little bit later on, Daniel Jacobs. He joins me to talk about this grudge match he has with Gabriel Rosado, how he feels at 168 pounds, and what he hopes the future is for him. I think he'll be a sought-after world title challenger if he comes through this fight against Rosado on Friday. Stick around. Daniel Jacobs will join me a little bit later in the show. All that and more on the SI Boxing Podcast. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, Dan Rayfield is here, longtime boxing writer, now over at BoxingScene.com, Ring TV. You can read him in a lot of different places, Ring Magazine as well. Uh, Dan, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure to be on the pod. Well, Dan, you are on the pod when I'm going to say something that I never expected to say in my podcasting career, and that (laughs) is, it is Mike Tyson Fight Week. We are are into 2020, and it is Mike Tyson Fight Week. Uh, On Saturday, Mike Tyson will participate in an exhibition match against Roy Jones Jr., another 50-plus-year-old inactive fighter. Uh, This fight will take place in Southern California. Uh, There are some strange rules to this fight. 
Uh, it will not officially be scored by the California State Athletic Commission. Uh, the referee has been instructed that if it gets a little too out of hand, he's got to step in and make sure it doesn't get too physical. So don't expect a classic scrap uh, between these two guys. Tyson, of course, is 15 years removed from his last professional fight. Did go on kind of a brief uh, exhibition tour himself, including the famous win over Corey Sanders in 2006, which was... It's only one, there was only one exhibition fight. I will call it the short-lived tour then. Uh, Roy Jones, however, was is about three years removed from uh, his last official fight uh, in boxing, a win over the great Scott Sigmund, which uh, punctuated Roy's illustrious career. So I guess we'll start here, Dan. Uh, are you excited about Tyson Jones? I have to be honest. I'm a little interested. I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to it. I have a little nostalgia going on. Uh, obviously, I covered uh, Roy Jones and Mike Tyson many of their fights. I know both guys. They both are obviously all-time great fighters. Uh, but I also go into it with eyes open. I understand that it isn't going to be what it may have been when they actually discussed this as a real fight in around 2003. Roy Jones had defeated John Ruiz for the WBA heavyweight title. Tyson was still an active fighter. He had lost to Lennox Lewis but was still carrying on with his career. And there was a lot of discussion at the time that he might fight Roy Jones. And at that time, it would have been a mega pay-per-view fight. Obviously, this is not that. But, you know, as a fan of both of their careers and uh, and as a boxing fan and with not a lot of other big stuff going on, uh, at least this weekend, I am interested. And, and, and in, the, in the interest of full disclosure also, you know, I did get hired by the folks at, at fight.com, uh, fight.com, which handles the, uh, the digital distribution of this fight. If you want to buy a stream of the fight uh, in the United States, uh, they're the ones doing it. So we're doing a roundtable uh, discussion, uh, sort of a preview show on Friday following the weigh-in. But uh, I was interested in the fight even before they decided to, to give me a check to uh, talk about the fight. So uh, I, I am interested. And I think, uh, you know, as long as you go into it with the right attitude, like you said, Chris, and you're not expecting, you know, this all-time legendary battle for pound-for-pound supremacy or for a heavyweight championship, and you take it for what it is, uh, and you combine it with, you know, a pretty decent undercard, and you should uh, just enjoy yourself and kick back and watch the fight if that's what you want to do. All right, but before we peel back the layers of this fight, or of the card itself, I guess, why do you think that Mike Tyson is doing this? Like, Roy Jones, I somewhat get. I mean, Roy Jones was putting himself in harm's way as recently as February of 2018. It doesn't surprise me that Roy Jones is doing this. It does surprise me that Mike Tyson is doing this because Mike Tyson is not in the same position he was back in 2006 when he had a horrifyingly goofy exhibition against Corey Sanders. He has become a successful podcaster. He is financially solvent, which he wasn't back in 2006. Why do you think Tyson's doing this? I think it's a combination of things. I think part of it is... Uh, and this cannot be understated, it is financial. The folks that are bankrolling this at Triller.com, they supposedly put up $28 million to secure the rights of this event. And even if Mike is making good money doing his various projects, that's still a lot of money. A lot of it will go to him. Uh, you know, when I spoke to Roy Jones a few days ago for a story that I will write uh, for the Ring Magazine's website, you know, Roy... Not in, a, not in a spiteful way or in a, in a bitter way. He, he basically lamented the fact that 
he's only getting a guarantee of $1 million for this fight, which pales compared to what Tyson is going to get. And frankly, what it would have been worth should it have happened, you know, many years ago when they were both still, you know, hot top, uh, you know, well-known professionals still in their active careers. But Roy's point of view was when this was brought to him, it was when everybody was on a lockdown. There was nothing on sports-wise on television. He thought it sounded like a good idea. He's been, you know, active in terms of in the gym, training other fighters and, and keeping himself in shape. So he just thought it was something to do. Then they moved it back uh, for different reasons. And uh, he, he stuck with it. So he's not thrilled with the financial aspect of it. But for Tyson, you ask what the reasons are he's doing. I think, I think financially is a big part of it. But I also think it's a chance for Tyson to, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's got himself in a better frame of mind and a better mindset in his regular life. He's got himself in better shape. And, uh, you know, I think that Tyson knows how badly things ended in his pro career. And he has an opportunity to go back in the ring. It's not a real fight in that sense, but to show people that, you know, at age 54-ish or whatever he is now, that, you know, he still can perform at an athletic level and uh, have some fun, bring some entertainment to his legions of fans, and then put on an event. It's kind of something to do. It is true that this would have been a mega event back in 2003 when, as you said, Roy beat John Ruiz, Tyson was still around at at a reasonably high level. Uh, That would have been a monster pay-per-view bonanza. Uh, I'm trying to figure out, Dan, what kind of business this pay-per-view is going to do. Um, Because beyond the fight itself, it's... It's in a tough place, right? Like, November 28th is not a great pay-per-view date. You're coming off of Thanksgiving. People spend a lot of their money on Black Friday. You're going into the holidays. Maybe on top of that, there are some people that are thinking, all right, I'm a real boxing fan. I'm going to buy Errol Spence versus Danny Garcia a week later. On this, At the same time, as far as name recognition goes, these two guys have more name recognition than 95% of the active fighters that are out there. Probably, so, nine, probably I mean, 99% of the active fighters out there. Uh, but, but what, do you, what do you think, this, what kind of business are you expecting for, I believe, the retail price of around $50? What, what kind of business are you expecting? is the retail price. And, you know, it is available on the Fight app. It's also available on normal pay-per-view. So it's it's, it's, uh, there are various places to buy it on your satellite service. So it is there. The thing is, uh, you mentioned that it's because it's a Saturday following Thanksgiving. That's a great date for television viewing, not necessarily for pay-per-view. So if you take a look in the, in the, in the, you know, years of HBO boxing, you know, which has now been gone for the last couple of years, but they often did a major fight on the Thanksgiving Saturday with the promoters understanding that they would sacrifice the live gate. Uh, because it didn't turn out a lot of ticket buyers on the holiday weekend. But there was people uh, in their living rooms who had been through the family thing for the last couple of days. And, you know, they finally were, were starting to unwind with all the holiday spirit, if you will. And so come Saturday night, they put on the boxing match. And those, those shows consistently did high ratings. Pay-per-view has never really done uh, big numbers on the holiday weekend. I remember many years ago, early in my boxing writing career, the top rank put on the rematch between Marco Antonio Barrera and Eric Morales uh, on, on Thanksgiving weekend, which was a very, very hot fight at that time. Obviously, it was a couple years removed from their you know, epic first fight. It was a highly anticipated match um, you know, between two top guys, world title at stake, and a good pay-per-view with HBO backing it up you know, with a tremendous marketing uh, for the event. And uh, you know, if you ask Bob Arum to this day, he'll tell you, you know, we left a lot of money on the table by doing it on the Thanksgiving weekend. And 
to my recollection, he's never done another pay-per-view on the holiday weekend since then for that reason. So I think they're, they're in for a tough situation because pay-per-view as an entity overall, boxing or otherwise, is not what it once was. And, you know, if I can be frank, the promotion for this has been pretty lackluster. Uh, they never hired a boxing person to handle any PR. So it's been, and I know everybody in this business, it has been almost impossible to get information from these people about the event, um, to set up interviews. Like I didn't even know who to go through to talk to Roy Jones. So I'm like, and I usually will follow the protocol during a fight week and just, just try to, you know, I'll, I'll do what I have to do, but to start off with, I'll go through the publicist to set up my interviews and not to go around them. I don't want to cause anybody problems, but there was nobody that I even know to go through. So what did I do? I sent Roy Jones a text. I said, Hey Roy, I'm writing some stuff on your event. You know, can you, can you spare me uh, uh, some time, you know, at your leisure? You know, he texted me back like five minutes later. He said, yeah, you know, whatever day it was, I call me at 11 a.m. Okay, I'll call you at 11 a.m. So I called him at 11 a.m. We had a terrific interview. Um, it, it's just been, it's been a very difficult and frustrating endeavor to try to, to cover this in the proper way, particularly when no one's going to be there. Um, you know, I actually got an email today. One of the first ones I've gotten at all from these people who are handling the promotion, uh, basically saying, you know, we received your, your inquiry about press credentials but they haven't decided or they don't know if anybody's going to be allowed in yet. Granted, we're still only a few days away. And I'm like, I have no idea why I got this letter because I never asked about if I could have a press credential. I had no intention of traveling, you know, from my home in Virginia to Southern California to cover an exhibition fight. So um, how it will do, I don't know. The, the folks at Fight who are involved on the digital end, they say that they're, they're very happy with the early returns that they have seen. I, you know, they didn't give me exact numbers, but they were pretty chipper when we did our production call for our, our, uh, our preview show. So that may be a positive indication. But I don't know about you, Chris, but I haven't seen any commercial spots on my cable system. You know, a lot of times when you do pay-per-views, uh, part of the deals with the on-demand folks is they have to run a certain number of commercial spots. And those commercial spots inevitably would show up, you know, during uh, a sports program on ESPN or a sports program on Fox or something on the local uh, time on, a, on, on the broadcast channels. But, and I watch a lot of news channels and I watch a lot of sports channels. I have not seen, not, not one or two, I've seen zero. I've got no emails from my cable uh, folks, you know, saying you should check this fight out, which I get for other events on a regular basis. So, you know, I don't think it's going to do all that good, to be honest with you. They've, they've really not done a good job with this, in my opinion. I agree with everything you said. And to take it a step further, uh, and my other walk of life, I'm a basketball writer. Nate Robinson is fighting <laughs> right. on the undercard. I've had zero communication with anybody about Nate Robinson, whether to write or to have him on the Crossover Podcast, my sister podcast. Uh, as a boxing writer and someone that has a podcast and does a show like this, which also streams on DAZN, zero communication. As far as I know, nobody's reached out to me directly about, about are that. You surprised, are you surprised by that a little bit? I mean, I would... I just, I'll be honest, Dan, I just figured they'd hire like a Fred Sternberg or somebody that's out there that knows the boxing community to try to at least get them involved. And... I don't know. I'm not sure what they're banking on. Like word of mouth plus maybe some of the, the urban community that gets reached through rapper. I, I don't know. I don't know what, what they're bank, how they're banking on the selling this fight. Well, I'll give you, this is one, if this is one indication of why I don't think it's going to do all that well, because even up until just a few days ago, myself, who was 
you know, and does this every day for 20 years, you know, and is, is very attuned to how these things are carried and where to buy them and how to view them. I was still a little confused. Is this available on regular pay-per-view? Do I have to buy it on the fight app? Is it available on some other, you know, first that when they first started to talk about this, it was going to be on the Triller app, which I don't have and don't really know what it is. And it was only until a few days ago that it became clear to me that it was going to be available on multiple platforms. You could buy it as a uh, regular pay-per-view, which I looked in and yes, it is there on my cable box when I go and check what's on next Saturday on our pay-per-view channel. Yes, you can buy it on the fight app. And so, you know, if somebody like myself, that's, that's a diehard that does this for a living, and even I'm not really clear on how to purchase this or where to see it, how do you think the regular consumer that is not involved in this on a, on a minute by minute basis, who's just, you know, kind of like sort of interested, but has no idea where to find it, where to find it, how they're going to go about it. So I think they've got some real problems with the general public who, even if they are interested and are willing to spend the money, are just not sure where to go buy the event. And that's a real serious problem. That's your number one thing is you, if you want people to buy, you have to tell them where they can buy it. And look, it, it's not my problem. I don't really care where the money is coming from, but all the people involved, I hope that money's in escrow somewhere. <laughs> I hope it's some... Because Dan, in addition to the fighters, I mean, Jake Paul is on the undercard. He's going to look to get paid. Nate Robinson ain't doing this for free. Badu Jack is fighting. He's looking to get some money out of all that. In addition to the big ticket guys, Tyson and Jones. Plus, they announced like the broadcast team involved. Like Al Bernstein is a part of it. Jim Gray is a yeah. part of it. Michael Buffer is doing the introduction yeah. for this. Michael Buffer does not do anything for free. So like, I just hope everybody gets paid off of this because I'm not sure where all this money's coming from. I mean, I think they probably have covered it from that standpoint. I mean, those are all, uh, you know, they are going to have to follow the rules of the commission, at least in terms of the boxers, and that money is going to have to be, you know, in place. They did hire uh, the East Coast promoter who primarily promotes in uh, a casino in Rhode Island, Jimmy Birchfield, who is very experienced, who's promoted, uh, you know, numerous television cards back in the old Friday Night Fights days on ESPN2. He was one of the regular promoters um, and, and did a lot of shows in there. He's the one that's handling, I guess it's his license that they're using, but he's also populated the, the non-pay-per-view undercard with some of the young fighters that he promotes. So, you know, as the promoter of record, you know, Jimmy is a very experienced uh, promoter in this business and understands about making sure money is there when you write the checks and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not so concerned about that. I'm just thinking, and again, it's not my problem, not your problem, as you just mentioned, that they're going to end up swimming in red ink, I think, when this is all said and done, if you believe the numbers that are supposedly on the table for Mike Tyson. And even for Roy Jones, even at a million dollars, which may seem like a, a you know a drop in the bucket compared to what Tyson's going to get or what Roy probably should have gotten, um, you know, the money, is, the money is there from somebody. I mean, they've got, you know, if you, if you have the event going on demand and you have the caliber of people that you just mentioned who are part of the broadcast, you know, I know they've hired, a, you know, a top-notch production team uh, producer, director types to, to handle the event. Um, you know, I expect it's going to look good and, and hopefully it will come off. And I, you know, my main thing is if you are a boxing fan and you invest your time and you invest your money, then at least when you turn off the television or your, or your phone or whatever you're watching on, when the night's over, that you don't feel like you got ripped off. And when I bought the Mike Tyson exhibition in 2006 against Corey Sanders, and I buy all the pay-per-views and I know what to expect. If that was the worst thing I ever saw in my life. I was pissed off when I was done with that one. 
I felt ripped off of my money, you know, and I'm not one that's easily complainable when it comes to pay-per-view because I understand. He literally held Corey Sanders up. He held Corey Sanders up once. And you take your chances. But that one really, really irritated me. That was a disgrace. Hopefully this will be better than that. Well, I mean, making it doubly difficult is the fact that there won't be any crowd in uh, California. I mean, I, I can almost understand trying it if you can get a live gate that's seven figures not possible because of this no. pandemic. It just the, the and they're doing it inside so the Staples Center, which I mean, they they did a couple of recent PBC FS mm-hmm. shows, and they basically just kind of set off a, a section of the arena. You won't even probably notice that it's in there because, like you said, it's empty. Um, but they they're not going to be any fans, and you know, here we are on Monday of the as we tape this on the week of the fight, where it's on Saturday, and they're sending out notices to members of the media saying they haven't even decided if they're going to allow any press into the building. I mean, it's kind of a train wreck. Um, Last thought on this, I guess, prediction? (laughs) I mean, to me, it could go a million different ways. I don't have any idea what to expect. I have, you know, I know, I mean, I've talked to Roy a few times in the buildup to the fight. You know, he's, you know, we talked about he went to, he went away to training camp in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with his uh, trainer for the last few fights, Tommy Ancello, and said he's, I asked him, I said, you know, when you prepare for what is being billed as an exhibition, do you, st- you know, and it's not pound for pound stat, it's not a world title, it's not some mega uh, uh, championship activity, you know, how do you approach the training camp? And he said, look, same way I always do. That's the way I've been programmed. You just, that's, you, you take it like a real fight and you prepare yourself, whether it's a, a big mega fight or a regular fight. So he said he's enjoyed the training camp. You know, he's still been around the gym ever since his last fight, but this is the first time he's ever really gone into the, a full training to get his mind set, to get his body set. So he, he seems ready and seems, uh, you know, in a, in, in a right spot mentally and, uh, you know, says he's in good physical condition. So, you know, clearly he's the guy that's been in the ring most recently compared to Tyson, you know, and I don't know what to make of Tyson because all we've really seen, and I don't care if you're uh, just, if you're a boxing, you know, insider or you're just somebody that's watching clips on social media, what have we seen of Iron Mike Tyson? We've seen a handful of 30-second clips. That's it. So they're doing two-minute rounds, and uh, Roy Jones believes that he'll be, if he makes it through the first couple of rounds, he'll be completely gassed after two or three rounds. And he said, that's when I'm taking over the fight. So, you know, I, who, I'm not making it's Since they're not rendering a real decision, I'm not rendering a real prediction. I'll be, I'll be gassed after two rounds. This is... <laughs> Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. No prediction. What's your prediction, mister? I have no prediction. I have both guys pass out from exhaustion after six. (laughs) That's what I'm going with. All right. (laughs) And we all go home and the people that spent $50 are angry afterward. I'm 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 predicting anger on social media, Dan. Anger on social media afterwards. That's what I'm predicting right now. Um, All right. Let's talk about a couple of real fights. I'm wearing my Tyson hat. You are. Back in uh, Tyson's last big fight, or at least mega fight. Um, Let's talk about a couple of bigger fights this weekend, or at least real fights this weekend. Daniel Jacobs, uh, he will fight 168 pounds again on Friday against Gabriel Rosado. Uh, That fight will be on DAZN in South Florida, again in front of no fans. Being billed as kind of a grudge match, we all saw the interaction between Jacobs and Rosado last year when Rosado was the standby guy when uh, Jacobs fought Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Uh, Chavez ultimately uh, made weight, made the fight, or at least made enough weight that Jacobs would fight him. And Rosado fought in front of an empty venue, actually, ironically, after uh, that fight happened. I, you Look, Dan, I, I've got to be honest, full disclosure, like even though I'm calling this fight, I'm not all that excited about this fight. I mean, Rosado 
is a big talker, but he feels to me like he's well past his prime. And even in his prime, when he fought top guys, he generally didn't win, whether it was Gennady Golovkin, Peter Quillen. I mean, go down the list. These top guys, he wasn't able to beat. Uh, Jacobs, I'm not sure what Jacobs gets out of this. I mean, Jacobs has said all along, money, you're right, money gets money. But Jacobs has said all along that, you know, to prepare myself for a championship-level fight, I want to fight a full-fledged super middleweight. Well, that's not Gabe Rosado. Gabe Rosado is blowing up to 168 to take this fight. So I I don't know what to expect in a fight like this. I, I have low expectations to say in a fight like this, Dan. What about you? I have similar similar feelings about it. Um, look, I have nothing bad to say about Gabe Rosado. He's an honest fighter. He's a good dude. He's a smart dude. He doesn't really need the box in my mind because he's intelligent where he can do other things. I've had conversations that go beyond boxing with him. Uh, and I like Gabe. Like I said, he's he's been a good fighter. And he always gives a great effort. He hasn't been able to get over the hump against the best guys, but no one should question his desire or his heart, you know, or his, uh, his ring intelligence. He just does not have the skills, particularly at this stage of his career, in my opinion, to hang with somebody like Danny Jacobs. And I'm not saying that to be a jerk or to be a hater or anything. I buy on the contrary. I have massive respect for Rosado, but I just think it's a huge mismatch. Uh, you know, they, they got Jacobs the deal for a huge amount of money to fight Canelo. And part of that deal was he got two comeback fights. One was burned against Chavez Jr. He got another one where he could select this caliber of opponent uh, before he looks for some other activity. And, you know, there is some element of the bad blood. I think some of that, frankly, is contrived, um, you know, because of what happened where, where Chavez ended up taking the fight and, and Rosado ended up fighting, you know, after the main event. Um or maybe it was before the main event, but the point was it was certainly in front of a pretty empty. It was after the main event. It was after, after the, the venue was cleared. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah. of the, the, the they had thrown bottles cups. and all that business in. Yeah. So, you know, Jacobs is this is this is. I don't want to insult Gabe and say it's just a tune-up fight, but it's certainly not at the level of the types of fights that uh, Daniel Jacobs has had so many times during his career. And uh, you know, Rosado again, he'll give a great effort. I just don't know if he can, you know, stand up. Uh, uh, and and I'm not saying he's going to get stopped necessarily, but just you know be able to compete with with a you know a top guy like Danny Jacobs even at the heavier weight because like you said Rosado when I first you know knew of Rosado when he was coming along he was really fighting at junior middleweight and he moved up in weight to get the chance to fight uh, you know some of the names in the heavy in the middleweight in the heavier division in the middleweight division because no one at 154 would fight the guy either back at that time but that's you know a number of years ago so. Um, I have low expectations, but sometimes when you have low expectations, if you, if you even get a little bit over what you anticipated, you turn out to be satisfied with the night's fights. Uh, unfortunately, the card as a whole has taken a hit because there's been COVID issues with some of the guys on the card, injuries, et cetera. So, you know, what was a little bit of a more interesting card is, is lost, I think, three fights at this point with some prospects mm-hmm. and Demetrius Andre's fight dropped out. So they're down to, uh, you know, lesser and lesser fights at this point. So, um Kind of just uh, like hope nothing else goes wrong between now and the time they get in the ring. Yeah, and you know one of the reasons I have low expectations is that you know after the bedlam broke out in Phoenix and, and the and the uh, venue emptied, I went back and watched Gabe fight. Uh, was a Humberto Ochoa, who is basically the a proverbial cab driver. Uh, and look, Rosado blew him out, but this guy didn't look like he was in any kind of shape. Dan, I'm, I'm sitting there watching. And I'm like. Gabe's got to knock this guy out, right? Like he's got to stop him. And it just wasn't, it wasn't all that impressive. I just don't see Rosado at this stage of his career being able to do much. I think the question's going to be, can Jacobs do what 
you know, uh, Golovkin was able to do, Quillen on cuts was able to do, can he stop him? Because I think Jacobs needs that. I think he needs a springboard type of fight to put him in the mix for the fight that he wants, which is Billy Joe Saunders. I mean, he wants to fight Billy Joe Saunders in the first quarter of 2021. That's certainly a makeable fight because of the matchroom connection, zone, all that. Uh, but to get that fight, I think he has to look really impressive against Rosado. So that's probably the biggest thing I'm watching for. Not if Jacobs is going to win. I think that's the case. But will he look impressive in this fight? Well, I mean, Jacobs, you know, I thought he looked pretty good against Chavez, who was much bigger. and He made him quit and, uh, you know, was kind of winning, you know, fairly easily up until that point. Um, so, you know, look, he doesn't have to be impressive. He has to win the fight, obviously. He just has to make sure he wins the fight. The impressive part, you know, we can debate about that after the fact, but make sure you get the W. And, uh, you know, but it matters, though, Dan, right? Like, I mean, Devin Haney, same situation a few weeks back. You know, won, but didn't no, do I, under, I understand that. But again, Devin Haney, I thought, got a lot of grief that was unwarranted in the way he performed against Gamboa. You know, was it scintillating? Was it explosive? No, but for all the people that said, oh, Devin Haney can't punch or he's not an offensive-minded fighter or he, you know, was exposed. Yeah, okay, so he didn't look spectacular in that fight. But does anybody remember that not that long before that he scored the knockout of the year against Antonio Moran? So there's a happy medium. There's the explosive power where you absolutely erase a guy with one shot. And then there is when you go the distance with, you know, a very cagey and experienced professional like Gamboa. So, you know, to me, it's there is a happy medium. You're not what you are on your best night and you're probably not what you are on your worst night. You're usually somewhere in between. So I suspect that Jacobs will get the job done. He'll look pretty good doing it. And then there'll be the discussion. Is he going to get a Saunders? Will he go to do something with the PBC folks? And, and one of those types of fights that will be available to him, you know, Keith Connolly, who's his manager, um, you know, had this set up very well. It was a three-fight deal by my understanding. He got Canelo. Now he's got Chavez. Now he's got this fight uh, coming up. And then he's free and clear of any of those entanglements. And he'll be a free agent. And then Keith and, uh, can go about trying to make the best deal possible for him. But if Billy Joe Saunders is the winner of the fight against Martin Murray coming up, uh, that would be an attractive fight, all things considered. Jacobs against Saunders is a is a fight where, uh, you know, I don't know who wins the fight, and I don't think anybody really knows for sure who wins the fight. And, you know, even if you don't think that Saunders is the most exciting guy, at least you go into the match having to watch because you're not really sure what's going to happen. I'm pretty sure I know what's going to happen uh, this weekend with Jacobs. Yeah, I, you know, shout out Keith Conley. I, I warned him recently that on last December, he was standing in the ring with one of the ring cards batting beers away, they were getting tossed at Daniel Jacobs. I said, if this fight is a dud, he's going to have beers thrown at him, and they're going to be coming from me because I'll be the one <laughs> in the arena firing exactly. full beers at him from afar. Like that's, I want this. I, look, I, these. I think there is. You, you're right. You're probably right. There could be some a contriveness to the bad blood there, but I think there is some animosity between these two guys. And I just, I hope it manifests itself in a good battle. I don't want you know, holding and, and kind of like a glorified sparring session that ends. I, mean, I don't think it's going to be Jake. like that because that's just not the kind of fight that Gabe Rosado gets in. Gabe is usually yeah. in a pretty high contact fight. And, and Jacobs, while he's got skills, uh, you know, he's not afraid to get in there and rumble and mix it up to a degree. He did it with Golovkin and took the shots pretty well. Um, mm -hmm. Not as much maybe with Canelo, that was, but that was a high-level boxing match. It may not have been the most exciting, but it, was, it had its moments where it was exciting. You know, Jacobs, uh, you know, he has scored knockouts, um, and he has, you know, gone the distance, but most of his fights in his entire career have been by knockouts. So, you know, this should be the opportunity for him to, to let the punches flow, and we'll see if he can get the stoppage.
All right, the other fight this weekend is on Saturday, and that's the heavyweight matchup over in the UK between Daniel Dubois and Joe Joyce. And I'm really excited about this fight, Dan, because I like it when you've got these crossroad types of matchups where you've got two fighters, you know, effectively ranked top 10 in the heavyweight division, and the winner, you know, takes a big step forward. They're, they're facing each other, taking a risk. They're doing it without crowds. It's It feels like, to me, a lot like Dillian White, Alexander Povetkin from a few months ago. Just a meaningful heavyweight fight. Um, Dubois I like a lot. I think he's incredibly skilled. He's got all the tools, uh, I think, to be a great heavyweight. I, I'm just not sold on Joyce yet. Like, he's... I watched him at the Olympics. I was down in Rio working for NBC down there. And he just... He's just lumbering a little bit. He's got power. There's no question about that. But is there's not like any speed to him. And I just I look at this matchup thinking that Dubois, if he's on his game, is gonna be too fast for Joyce and maybe even fast enough to catch him and stop him. I knew you were gonna use the word lumbering because it's like the only word you can use for Joyce. <laughs> You're exactly right in your analysis. I agree with you one hundred percent. Dubois has got the power, he's got the youth, and he's got the speed. And he's got great size also. But Joyce also has good size. He may be slow, very slow, but he can also punch. And he seems like he's got a very good chin. And it's it's a fight with a lot of high stakes. The one place where I will quibble with you a little bit, as you said, two like top 10 guys you know, going at each other. To me, the way I look at the matchup, the winner gets to put himself into the top 10. I don't think they're necessarily there just yet. Dubois has not fought anybody. And while Joyce has fought you know, better competition than Dubois, I still don't think he's necessarily at the top 10 level yet, but certainly the winner, you know, especially if it's by, you know, a definitive result, either by decision or even by a knockout, you know, will launch himself into that top 10 where they have to be considered at that point, you know, for some of the bigger fights, possibly for some kind of title opportunity, a title eliminator, something along those lines. But, uh, you know, if you're a boxing fan, it's the best fight of the weekend. It's what you want to see where you don't necessarily know the result, but it, you're, you think you're going to see an interesting fight between two guys who can get in there and crack. You know, and this is a fight that's been a long time coming. They were supposed to fight in April. Obviously, it didn't happen because of the coronavirus. Everything got shut down. And rather than reschedule it immediately, they both got uh, tune-up fights in the summer, and they both scored pretty quick knockouts against guys that didn't really have a prayer. They finally agreed to do this fight. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm totally psyched for it. I mean, this is going to be a good matchup. I, I don't see... Uh, how if you're if you're mildly interested in heavyweight boxing, how you're not going to be checking this out on Saturday. So I mean, I guess I, I always ask fighters this, whether it's you know in, in at scrums or in fighter meetings for broadcasts, like how do you win? Like Joyce, I can see past a victory for Dubois. Like does Joyce just have to catch him with that one big shot? Because he, like you said it, I said it. Like he he can crack. Like he'll he'll hit you with some solid punches. But is that his path to victory? Just catching him because I don't see him being able to outbox Dubois in this matchup. I think I mean, certainly that's one way he can win. But I think the other way that Joe can possibly win the fight is, is long, if you can prove that you can take what Dubois has to offer. You know, Daniel has never really been in a tough, deep, grinding type of fight that's gone. You know, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head the number of rounds, but, you know, I don't think he's ever gone 12 rounds. Uh, it's the type of fight where if you're Joe Joyce and you prove that you've got that good chin, and you, you're gonna even if you're slow, you're gonna land some kind of punch. It's not like Dubois is uh, Mr. Defense. He does get hit. I've seen him hit by by lesser opponents. I mean, he stood up to them, uh, for, you know. Thankfully for his sake, uh, but Joyce is gonna have to take some, uh, make Dubois question himself a little bit, and and Joe's gonna have to, in my mind, if he doesn't get him out of there with you know some crazy early punch, he's gonna have to get him into the late rounds and tire him out a little bit, put that big body on top of Dubois because even though Dubois is like you know six what is he, 6'4", 240, 
you know, Joyce is even bigger than that. So mm -hmm. you lean on him, you tire him out, you touch anywhere you can on his shoulders, on his body, on, on, uh, on his arms, and just, just beat on him as much as possible. By the time you get into like, you know, nine, 10, 11, and he's huffing and puffing, you may have a chance to land a good shot. Cause even, even in the early rounds, you know, Joe can still punch a bit. Um, you're going to have to tire him out a little bit, slow him down, you know, cause as we mentioned, he's definitely the faster fighter. Uh, you know, I make, make Dubois lose some of the confidence that he has going into the fight. But, but ultimately, you know, I think that he's the better athlete Dubois. He's probably one punch, the bigger puncher. And he's got just, a, a, seems to me, a more diver, a diverse arsenal that he can do more things different than Joe can. But what Joe can do can be very effective in the heavyweight division. If you're big and you're strong and you can take a shot, you can go really far. Yeah, Dubois had the obligatory Kevin Johnson heavyweight experience that took him 10 rounds. Uh, but since then, or before and after, he's really only been a five-round fighter or less. So you're right. I mean, maybe the later rounds are where Joe Joyce can start to do some damage. But it's a good fight. And you're right. Even if it's not uh, two top 10 guys, I think the winner does take a jump into that top 10 and gets or at least positions himself for a much more meaningful fight in, in 2021. Uh, let me finish with this, Dan. Uh, you had a chance to catch up with Bob Arum this week. Uh, it was just a couple weeks ago that Bob Arum, you know, effectively napalmed his own fighter, saying that, look, I'm tired of losing money on Terrence Crawford. I could buy a house in Beverly Hills with the money I've lost on Terrence Crawford, saying this to The Athletic. Uh, you had a conversation with him recently, and rather than mellowing out, it seems like Bob has decided to double down. What was your takeaways from that conversation with Bob Arum about Terrence Crawford? Bob basically was like, look, Terrence Crawford is a tremendous fighter, but just being really good, if you don't generate money, it doesn't do me or, you know, my company any good. And he basically said, I'm washing my hands of Terrence Crawford. Not that they're going to go release him or cut him. They still have uh, time left on their contract uh, through October of 2021 with Crawford. But he, in essence, said, I'm done dealing with Terrence Crawford. I'm turning it over to Todd DeBuff, which is Bob's stepson, who also is the president of Top Rank, as you know and let him handle the headache that Bob believes that Terrence Crawford is. But what Bob was really irritated by was that what he believes was uh, on the Crawford camp side of leaking details of the contract to the media, which really got Bob steamed up about when his contract was up, you know, some language in there about making an offer uh, for an Errol Spence fight this year. Otherwise it would require a seven figure payment, a million dollars to Terrence Crawford. And Bob really took that in a bad way. He was still really ticked off because of the fact that even after they had made an agreement, both sides had agreed to the terms on the fight between Crawford and Kelbrook that took place a couple of weeks ago, that the Crawford camp and Terrence in particular did not sign the contract after they'd had it for two weeks. The whole idea was we've agreed on the terms, um, let's get it signed and we'll make a big deal about it. We'll announce it during the broadcast for the Tiafima Lopez, Vasily Lomachenko fight, which had a huge audience and we can really kickstart this promotion with videos and an interview and, and graphics and conversation. And, and for whatever reason, uh, Crawford did not sign the contract. You know, Aram's point of view was, look, I know what they're doing. This is Bob's, this is not my opinion. This is Bob's opinion saying, they say they agree on the deal. Um, we start the promotion and then when it's announced, then they start to renegotiate the terms because they weren't thrilled with them. I'm not playing those games. Sign, you know, we made a deal, sign the contract and we'll blow this thing out. And so they, they, they kept dragging their heels, not signing, not signing. And finally, uh, a photo of the signature sheet was transmitted to them during the Lomachenko-Lopez broadcast. But by that time, 
They didn't have the op opportunity to roll in a big video splash to do an on-camera interview from maybe a satellite location for Crawford and to make a big deal about it. So if you watch back the broadcast for Loma and Lopez, yes, when he finally signed and, and the broadcast team got word of it, all you heard was, you know, 30 seconds of, a, of an announcement of a, com of a mention of it uh, by Joe Tessitore on the telecast, which, you know, it was good that they were able to make it, make it known that it was happening, but that certainly is not the same as blowing it up the way that they wanted to. So Bob was upset about that. He was upset about the contract details being leaked out. And he's upset because he claims that he's lost a huge amount of money on Crawford over these last several fights. And, you know, he's just done with that. And if you think that the Errol Spence fight's going to happen, he went through in the piece you referenced, which is on boxing scene, he went through, you know, the math of why this fight is so difficult to make. And he went through it in a very uh, methodical manner. And from the point of view of that, you know, you can disagree with somebody's opinion, but it's hard to disagree with basic math. Two plus two does equal four. Uh, at least in my world. And so Bob was making the point as he went through these numbers of why that's a very difficult fight to make. And, uh, and that, you know, make reiterated that Crawford, you know, needs to do a better job of putting himself out there that Bob's company has put resources and time and effort into promoting him. But if the boxer is unwilling to do it for himself, you know, you can't, you can't make the athlete want it more than you do. And so he said, he how does he doubled down, but he did not back off. He said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm serious when I said that he, he said that he absolutely meant what he said, and he stands by it. So how does this end? Because even if there wasn't this friction between Terrence Crawford and Top Rank, I have no reason to believe that we'll see Spence and Crawford in early 2021. Uh, they're both out there saying 60-40 my way. You know, that's a problem. Uh, you've had Errol Spence. That's a non-starter. That's just a non-starter. That's Right, but you you've also, you've also Dan, had, you've also had Errol Spence in the buildup to his fight against Danny Garcia, talk about how, well, the networks don't really see it as being worth the cross-promotion right now. There's just, there, there's no, you're not getting any kind of smoke signals from either side that this fight is going to take place. So what do you do if you're top ranked with Terrence Crawford? Like, maybe down the line, there's a Patrick Teixeira fight at 154, but Teixeira has a tough fight of his own that he's got to deal with before he can become available. First half of 2021, what does Terrence Crawford do? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, the share possibility to move up one weight class to 154 to try to, you know, make something out of getting a belt in another weight division, you know, would be, you know, something that's interesting. But like you said, he's got a tough fight against Castaño, and that fight's in February. Uh, so even if that fight with Teixeira and Castaño happens as scheduled, I believe it's February the 6th um, on the zone, that it would still be a few more months until the winner of that fight could be ready to fight against Terrence Crawford, which would push, push Crawford, you know, at the earliest into the spring, which is still. And, and by the way, Dan, to share always takes a beating. So it's like, no matter win or lose, he always takes a beating. So that's, he's never going to be able to fight till. Like, yeah, I mean, summer. as far as who Crawford fights, I mean, if it's not that fight, you know, unless they can somehow convince a Porter or even an Ugas or somebody there just is not that person that's a 147-pound contender under top ranks promotion. They have a tremendous amount of fighters in the 140-pound weight class, but those are not ready. Those guys are not ready to go up yet to do a fight with Crawford. They're still trying to uh, get done, say, for example, for the undisputed title, a Josh Taylor fight against Jose Ramirez. The winner of that fight, you know, could be a potential opponent for Terrence down the road. But again, it's not going to be in the spring. So they're going to have to really get creative and try to figure a way out. And, you know, I thought Aaron made a very intelligent point when he talked about, 
you know, if Terrence Crawford is with PBC and suddenly thinks it's going to be so much easier to make a fight with one of these big guys, Spets in particular, you know, he might have another thing coming. And Bob made the point that, you know, Al Heyman is very aware that when they, when they worked on the uh, Wilder and Fury rematch together, that in the United States, one third of roughly 900,000, 850,000 pay-per-views came from the fight being available on ESPN Plus, where Top Rank has the exclusive. If Crawford's not with Top Rank, then Heyman can't have ESPN Plus as one of those platforms to sell the pay-per-view, which is still doable. But the point that Bob also made is that he didn't think that, that, that Al would want to take that risk all on his own, that at least if Crawford's with Top Rank and they make that match, they have risk for Crawford, they have risk on the other side for Spence, and you can you know, sort of ease the, the, the uh, possible losses on both sides. Because here's the, here's the frank bottom line. You and I want to see the fight. Uh, diehard fans want to see the fight. It is my professional opinion that that fight on a great day, even with the backing of pay-per-view uh, from ESPN and from Fox, on a great day, that fight still doesn't exceed a half a million buys. And with the amount of money that the two athletes want and frankly probably deserve, but you get what you negotiate, not what you deserve, when you can't do a fight with a full crowd and you can't do a fight with the full closed circuit, which Bob made the point of also ran through the numbers about bars and restaurants accounting for as much as maybe $5 million on a fight like this. You put that fight at a place like the MGM with a full complement of spectators, probably does a gate of around $7 million. You can't suddenly take away, you know, $10, $11 million from the bottom line and still be able to pay these guys at the number of pay-per-views that you think it's going to do. So again, this is not part of what Bob said to me was emotional. I can't handle this. You know, I'm done with them, blah, blah, blah. But part of it was just cold, hard math. And math rules the day when you make a business deal. Yeah, I mean, we really got to get out of the business. At least pay-per-views got to get out of the business of guarantees. I mean, fighters should get what they earn. Well, you know, you can listen, see. Bob's final point, and this is very significant. Many of the biggest pay-per-views that have ever been done in the history of boxing were situations where the promoters or the promoter, the fighters were, were made an offer of a, a modest guarantee, millions of dollars, you know, a good amount of money. But they took that money and they worked for the rest. And it was basically, and Bob suggested, let's get back to the way we did it. The two boxers, Spence can get a good guarantee from his side. It will make Crawford a good guarantee on our side and we'll split the promotion. And then you do the deal with the boxer. Usually like an 80-20 or even Bob suggested possibly a 90-10 split in favor of the fighter. So when, when you all the revenue is counted up and you take the net, the boxer gets his guarantee plus his percentage and the, and the promoter gets his percentage. And that's the way you make a big fight. You don't guarantee astronomical numbers, not knowing if you can get there. You know, if, if top ranks willing to take the risk or PBC is willing to take the risk, they believe that the boxer should take a, a quality guarantee, but work for the rest, do the interviews, make your name, go on the talk shows, you know, do all the radio shows, do all the podcasts and really get out there and sell the fight. And that's the reason why, say whatever you want about people like Floyd Mayweather, when it came to promoting a fight or Oscar De La Hoya or even, you know, uh, uh, Canelo or a Mike Tyson or Oscar De La Hoya, you know, Manny Pacquiao, those guys did their work. Mayweather in particular, he did everything. And that's why he made, a, you know, almost a billion dollars as a boxer because he, he knew how to promote the fight. Yeah, you really got to get back to that model where, you, if, look, if you, can, if you can sell a fight, you reap the rewards. If you can't sell a fight, it shouldn't be on somebody else to pick up the tab on there. It's yeah, just, and it's uh, like the guys aren't going to get paid. I mean, they're still going to get millions of dollars right. in guaranteed money. But instead of getting, 
uh, a $10 million type guarantee that they might ask for, you know, maybe they get four or five and work for the rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Dan, always appreciate your time, man. I will, I'll tell you this. I will watch your show after the weigh-in on Friday. I will not watch the fight itself. I <laughs> Okay. I'm going to make paper airplanes out of $1 bills and throw them out my window, and I'm going to guess I'd be more entertained. Well, you can follow me on Twitter for the updates. How about that? <laughs> at 10. Yes, at it's 10 Radio 1. There you go. Dan, appreciate it, my friend. You bet, my man. Appreciate it. Thanks. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... A new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. All right, Daniel Jacobs is here, the former middleweight champion, now campaigning at 168 pounds. His next fight, end of the month, Gabriel Rosado. A bit of a grudge match between Jacobs and Rosado, two guys that have exchanged a bit of a war of words over the last uh, year or so. And Danny joins me here on the show. Danny, how are you, man? I'm doing lovely. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, before we get into the Jacobs fight specifically, um, uh, I, I always ask guys this, you know, that are coming on to their first fight, you know, sort of post-pandemic. I mean, how has this affected, you know, training for fights, just your overall schedule? I mean, what, what changes have you had to make because of the way the world changed? 
Well, <clears throat> I think for me, it was more so just where is location going to be because you can't go outside. So as far as training goes, I've tried my best with myself because my trainer hasn't been here um, up until, you know, a couple months ago or like two months ago. Um, I just had to make a nest for myself home and, you know, make a little bubble within my own home. And that's what I've done. You know, I made a little gym. I made a training facility to where I can train during the pandemic. And obviously things are a little bit better. So we're able to go out to gyms. So that's a good thing. I miss the gyms. I miss my comfort zone. I miss being in that, you know, environment. So I'm really excited just to be back and fighting in front of fans or no fans for me. I'm just, I'm looking forward to getting back to the gym because boxing is what I love. How was the conditioning been? I mean, making weight, I mean, it's uh, presumably a little easier for you at 168 than it was at 160, but you know, you're a big framed guy. How was the, the conditioning been? It's been great. Um, I don't eat too much. Um, obviously, I'm still, you know, when you're during the pandemic, you have to kind of, you know, take it easy. And I haven't had trouble with that. I've kind of curbed my appetite a lot during this whole pandemic. I've been able to eat comfortably, but at the same time, not knowing that I have to kill myself in camp. So that gives me great comfort. And I've been starting camp now for uh, about, say, a month now. So uh, my training uh, has increased and my diet, you know, has changed a little bit more. But I'm still able to eat a lot. I'm still able to be comfortable and not have the worries that I had at the middleweight division. So you moved up from middleweight last year and you move up to face Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., who somewhat predictably doesn't make the super middleweight limit. Um, you know, you have to fight a guy that's, you know, even bigger than a super middleweight that you were used to. I mean, with all that being said, how did you find your first experience as 168-ish pounder? Uh, it was pretty interesting. Um, it was something that I thought would allow me to get acclimated to, you know, the super middleweight division, but it was more pressure. It was more weight. It was more than I anticipated. But I was able to succumb and I, not succumb. I was able to overachieve. And for me, I thought breaking down his walls, that's where he knew exactly uh, who he was in there with. I think for me, it was like a outstanding first time at the super middleweight division. But for me, the second time around is really just getting this grudge match out. Obviously, everybody hasn't had the same training during uh this pandemic so i just think it's the perfect fight and i'm looking forward to it did you feel like you're i mean how did you feel power wise uh speed wise all the things that you were as a middleweight did you feel they carried up into the super middleweight division oh 100 because now i'm able to be comfortable now i'm able to really sit down on my punches and not feel weak you know, weakness comes in your legs. Weakness comes when you're losing too much weight. You don't have a lot of water around your brain when you get hit. It's extra oomph. Like, it's, it's a lot of things that people don't know when you're losing too much weight and you go in there not 100%. So now that I'm, I feel like my last fight, it showed exactly where I was comfort-wise. You were able to see the power. You were able to see the movement. You were able to see me at my comfort level. And now that I've been training in that comfort level, you'll be able to see more because we're going to add a little bit more things to the repertoire so i'm excited it was certainly a surreal night given that you know i conducted the post-fight interview with you while avoiding beer cans you got you got your manager you got your manager keith conley with a ring card like whacking away beers as they're being as they're being flung at you like like you did anything wrong like they get right. fired at you in the ring no it was very interesting but it was to me it was a fun experience and those are things that you can go at the end of your career and say wow i've had 
a tremendous career. And it was crazy. It was good. It was fun. It was bad. But it was definitely a career. So what's your, your training uh, team look like at this point? Are you still working with Fareed for this next fight? Yes. Yeah, so it's solely just me and Fareed. Um, we've been able to grow and spend time with each other. And I think it's perfect for me because now I have a trainer to really focus on my skill sets, um, what I'm good at. Um, you know, he's not training me like every other fighter that he has. He's specifically molding me to be the best version that I can be. And now that I'm comfortable at my weight, I just think that it's perfect now because, you know, I have the perfect teacher. Uh, I have the perfect scenario where I don't have to kill myself and I get to be 100%. So it's just perfect. You know, he's at my home every day. We go to the gym every day. He runs with me. He's very active, like, you know. And even between camp, he checks on me. He's making sure during this whole pandemic that I was doing the things that I had to do to at least stay, you know, in decent shape. So it was great. You know, a lot of times, Danny, when when guys change trainers, they don't really necessarily look for someone to teach them things. Like, you know, you're an accomplished guy. You've won a world championship. You've been a top-level middleweight. Uh, what were you looking for in trainer? Did you want to learn new things, or did you want someone that was more a strategist that can kind of guide you uh, in the course of a fight? All of those things. Uh, I feel like uh, I was looking for uh, a trainer who was dedicated to me, specifically me, and my skill sets, what can make me better, um, you know, just really make it all about me. And I wanted to have an interaction with my trainer where I really feel like he gets me and that communication and, and throughout the camps that we had, the two camps and this camp now, our third camp together, it's just been, you know, a growing relationship, a growing in terms of me learning and growing in terms of us understanding each other and the communication. I think when you have a good camp in terms of, good energy and, you know, good training, good techniques. It just makes for an overall good experience. And I'm grateful for that. So you get Rosado on November 27th. That fight's going to be on DAZN. And, you know, there's this good trash talk. And then there's something you said to him after Chavez missed weight that was caught by the matchroom cameras. That's easy money. That's easy you know, money for I, you. I do want to thank you, though. You know why I want to thank you? Want because thank you. if you wasn't the replacement, I wouldn't have got that extra M in the bank. Oh, word. For leverage. So okay. you the man, bro. Okay, okay. Good luck okay. tomorrow. Okay. Just let tomorrow. me handle your business, though, dog. I but you're corny, though. You're corny. You would never step you in the corn. foot. You would never step you foot corn. in the ring room. You are? Because you, you don't deserve you to step foot. Really? 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 And what makes you think that? That was cold, man. That was like a dagger right there. Like, thanks for being here, man. I got rich right, just because right. you're standing right there. Yeah, no, it was a very, <laughs> it was a very, very funny situation. But it's 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 a war zone, and this is boxing. And you know, you don't really have any friends in there where you need to kind of, you know, watch what you say. Or you know, to me, it's like a kill to be killed sport, inside and out the ring. And if you have some foul words to say about me, I'm going to reciprocate that. And that's just the way it goes, you know what I'm saying? I'm just uh, a fighter out here trying to make the best career for myself. Uh, you know, I'm also trying to set a path for young up-and-coming fighters to do things the right way, um, to make sure that they manage the right way, to make sure that they move in the right way and have other opportunities outside of boxing. So that's what I represent. And I think that that was kind of misconstrued to, you know, certain people who voiced their opinion about it, but... That's just what I represent, and that's what I'm going to continue to stand for. So, it, it was a great line. <laughs> it was a great line. In that one. I, I applaud that that line specifically. Um, the you know we've seen Rosado kind of do this before, sort of talk his way 
into fights. Um, he's no stranger to trash talk. I mean, how like when you were going through the decision making process of what you wanted to do next, um, did the trash talk kind of linger with you? Was that something that that pushed you in that direction? I think it was really more so the fact that um, I really wanted to be in a position to where I can get someone who has said some negative things about me who didn't really sit in a good place. And, you know, I have fans, I have family, I have several people who, you know, watch these things. So, you know, my reputation is on the line. And to have someone say some really bad things about me, yeah, I think it's personal. So um, that language in my mind, but at the same time, you know, I think it's going to be a good scrap for however long it lasts. I do think it's going to be an entertaining fight because he has heart. One thing that he has, he may not have all the talent in the world, but he has heart. And to me, sometimes that serves as a good fight. And uh, for me, you know, coming into the super middleweight division, I think it's the perfect second fight. Yeah, and that was my next question because, you know, one thing you said to me, and it, it stuck with me about, you know, the fights you wanted before the world championship fights was you wanted to fight, you know, get, get used to fighting legit super middleweights. You mean Chavez turned out to be like a cruiserweight. Uh, and Rosado, look, he'll weigh, you know, close to 168, but I think we both would agree he's not really a super middleweight. He's kind of a, a blown up, you know, 160 pounder. I mean, do, do you feel like he can, he's going to be able to physically get you ready for, I mean, to borrow a phrase, the wars to come, you know, with, uh, in fights down the line? I mean, he's a really big guy. I don't know if you really, you know, been side by side by day, but he, you know, he can get pretty yeah. big and I've seen him in camp putting on a little bit of muscle and, you know, trying to flex and look all cool, but. It's really all about the skill. So as long as he has that weight and he comes in 168 pounds, I think it would be perfect for me. Um, you can call me a blown up, you know, uh, super middleweight as well. You know? No, you were, you were slimmed down middleweight. <laughs> you were you cutting. You were not a blown up anything at that point. It was You had to cut off a leg sometimes, dude, to get down right, to 160. Right. No, actually, it's been kind of easy for me to make 168. Um, a little bit more easier than it has, obviously, for 160, but I realized that I come in like 65, you know, and, you know, 64.5. So to me, it's like I still can make 160, but it's just it's a stretch. It's those extra five pounds that really take a toll on me. So I feel comfortable at 68, but I'm still feeling out. That's got to be a good feeling. You know, what was cool for me was that I really get to put on more muscle now. You know, I get to put more muscle in my legs now and sit down on my punches. So not only will you get that speed of athleticism from me being comfortable and not drain, but you also get the strength and you'll be able to see some really hard shots and power and, mm. you know, combination punches and bunches, kind of like what you see when I was coming up in the, you know, professional ranks. Mm. It's got to be a huge, a good feeling to not have to starve yourself to get down there the day before and be... Yeah, go into that fight. It's got to be yeah. a tremendous feeling there. Um, you know, not not to look past anybody, but you're you know you're a, a, a desirable opponent for a lot of guys out there. I mean, as you look across the super middleweight division, you know what makes sense to you? What's some is there is there a, a championship level grudge match that you're kind of looking at as you get into 2021? No, I don't have any grudge matches that I would say. I think this is the only fight that I can say that it's not personal. But grudge, no. I just want the top spot. You know, I just want to be able to... Billy Joe Saunders. Best. Billy Joe Saunders can make it a grudge match. Like, he'll just run his mouth if you want to fix him. <laughs> you know, he's good for that. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, all the fights at 168 pounds, uh, as far as top five, top ten champions and contenders, I think it all makes sense because even though this fight is not for a title, I'm still uh, a notable, uh, a ranked, 
and a worthy fighter to fight uh, a champion uh, or a contender. So it's, as long as it makes sense, it's really about what the fans want and what my team decides. You know, you've had some back and forth with Jamal Charlo over the years. Uh, he just beat Sergey Derevchenko, and one of the things that was said afterwards: Well, Charlo beat Derevchenko uh, in more clean fashion than Jacobs did, and then Golovkin did. What did you think of of Charlo Derevchenko? And do you see still see Charlo as somebody you'd like to face down the line? I thought it was a good performance. I don't think it was the best performance. I mean, I thought. Uh, styles make fights, so his style, he was able to, you know, sit down more, be a little bit more poised and, you know, stand his ground, whereas I showed a little bit more of my athleticism. I boxed, I switched southpaw, you know, uh, I was able to throw shots, slip on the inside. I showed a lot of my arsenal in that fight, and I thought it was a perfect performance against a contender, you know, who still could be a world champion, but at that time, you know, we had been sparring partners, you know, he had known my whole style for like the last four years, you know? So to me, it was just kind of like still battling a very tough challenge, but battling someone who knows me. So it was kind of different, but to rate his performance, I thought he did good, but you know, styles make fights. He wouldn't be able to have that same success with me. What do you think of having Demetrius Andrade on your undercard as the co-main event of the fight? Um, like what, what do you mean when I think about it? I mean, like it, it you know, I know you've known him for, a long time. Uh, like, what yeah, do you yeah. what do you think about having? Him oh no, of- I think it's great. I think it's cool um, to have you know talent on the card. I think it's phenomenal. Um, anytime you're a headliner, you always you know want to give a good show, but you also want the undercard to be good. And I think um, talent such as Demetrius Andre and any other guys who's on there that's really good. I think it's going to serve just as a great card overall. So. I'm do you do you do you see him as a potential? I mean, I keep asking about potential guys, but I know you guys are friends. You know, Demetrius is theoretically being lined up for Saunders at some point for that 168 pound title. Does I mean, does is friendship more important than you know a belt there, or like how do you view you know Andre down the line as well? I mean, he's a he's a middleweight, you know, and unless we're talking super middleweight or something like that, that I won't even entertain it. But for me, I just I kind of focus on the guys who you know, are in my direction or in my sight, you know, and I have a lot of options. So to entertain that, I don't know, it would be. Well, I guess more, I guess it's more about if he's talking about like Saunders would be for Saunders title, I think is what Eddie's been saying out loud, like him being a super, a super middleweight champion and having a belt at some point. If that's the case, then we can talk because obviously he'll be in sight of, you know, my goals and my dreams and wanting to be a, you know, two weight class champion. So. You know, we'll see how that looks once it presents itself. Before I let you go, um, you know, boxing had a great night recently with Teofimo Lopez knocking off Lomachenko. Not only was it a great moment for a 23-year-old Lomachenko, who, or Lopez rather, who dared to be great and stepped in and beat one of the top pound-for-pound guys, but you see the ratings were high. You know, social media interest was high. When you as a fighter see stuff like that, I mean, does it – how does how does it make you feel? Like how do you react? How do you react to to moments like we saw Lopez? I mean, I love it. Uh, first off, I want to say congratulations to uh, Lopez. He did a phenomenal job, and you know he represented Brooklyn very well. So it, it was a masterful performance, and you know he showed where you know he had to mature and you know take on the experience in the later rounds, and you know he weathered the storm and and still remained himself and was strong and I applaud him, you know, so he definitely showed on for Brooklyn and 
we applaud that. But it was a good night for boxing overall. I'm grateful because, you know, boxing is still the best sport in the world. And even during this pandemic, I'm glad that we can give people the best fights that they're asking for and that, you know, that they want to see. You know, this was something that's been brewing for years. So the fact that it could do the justice and, 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 and give us what we predicted, I'm happy. You know, boxing is living on and is striving. And we have these young guys come in and wanting to make a name for themselves and doing just such. So, you know, it's always going to be the best sport in the world because it's always going to have that talent. And that was to show that, you know, we've we seen that last week. Yeah, and it, it just it showed me and you kind of made this point, like boxing is still very much alive and well. It just needs, oh, yeah. like you can't sort of tell people to watch something. You have to show them it's worth ultimately sure. watching. And that event was worth watching. And you're a guy that came up, I mean, you as a middleweight champion fought Golovkin, fought yeah. Canelo, like went, you know, went through those wars. It's, uh, and from my vantage point, Danny, it's great to see not just Teofimo, but you got Ryan Garcia, who is like, you know, still baby-faced at 21 years old, be like, bring them all on. You've got Devin Haney saying, bring them all on. Like, that's the attitude I think boxing needs. And, you know, for whatever reason, hasn't had, you know, in in recent years. I love it. I love the guys' attitude. They're young, they're bold, and they're brash, and they have a lot to prove. But the thing about it is they have the skill to back it up. And that's why I'm so excited about it because, you know, they're in this new technology, social media way, but it's it's – like a lot of celebrities that you see who are taking advantage of social media, they don't really deserve it. But these guys deserve all the attention that they're getting because they're superstars and they have, you know, the the the, the fan base, they have the interests, and they have this new wave of, of technology and social media that they have that platform to take advantage of. And I'm super, super proud of them um, for all those guys taking advantage and being able to, you know, build their platform and, Show the world their talent. You know, this is boxing. This is a brutal sport. But they're also bringing so many other people into it that necessarily, you know, wouldn't gravitate towards it. So, you know, it's all for boxing. Cheers to it. Yeah, so many mainstream fans watched that night. And, you know, hopefully we get a lot more of them uh, to come in the future. Uh, Danny, 1127, you are back against Gabe Rosado. I'm sure you'll be. You guys will be very civil to each other in yeah. uh, in the buildup. They'll be, you know, nice to yeah. see you again, Danny. How was your pandemic? Sure, you know, what yeah, was exactly. all that good stuff? Uh, hopefully, you have a good night, and uh, hopefully, we see you in even bigger fights in 2021, man. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate that. Thanks for looking forward to it. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 
2025 QX80 coming this summer. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.